Hello and welcome to the Harvest Podcast, brought to you by The Field in Charlotte, North Carolina. Here at The Field, we put love into action. We hope you are blessed by these previous sermons by Reverend Dr. Peter M. Wary. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a comment on whichever podcast platform you use. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and YouTube at Mayfield Memorial Missionary Baptist Church and Instagram at The Field CLT. Won't let me hold my peace. What is this? That's what the sisters and brothers on Pentecost Sunday so long ago were asking the disciples. So here we are today on Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church, celebrating again that there is this something in us. He is the Holy Ghost. Won't let me hold my peace. So grateful that it's time now to go to the Word. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you. Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 21. The Good News Translation. Starting with chapter 2, verse 2, leading through to verse 21. When the day of Pentecost came, all the believers were gathered together in one place. Suddenly there was a noise from the sky which sounded like a strong wind blowing, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they saw what looked like tongues of fire which spread out and touched each person there. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to talk in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, religious people who had come from every country in the world. When they heard this noise, a large crowd gathered They were all excited because all of them heard the believers talking in their own languages. In amazement and wonder, they exclaimed, these people who are talking like this are Galileans. How is it then that all of us hear them speaking in our own native languages? We are from Parthia, Medea, and Elam, from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, from Pontus and Asia, from Phrygia and Pamphylia, from Egypt and the regions of Libya near Serena. Some of us are from Rome, both Jews and Gentiles converted to Judaism, and some of us are from Crete and Arabia, yet all of us hear them speaking in our own languages about the great things that God has done. Amazed and confused, they kept asking each other, what? does this mean? What does this mean? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Verse 12 says, what does this mean? Pray with me for a few minutes this morning on the subject, what is this? Let's pray. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. 
Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope. Let my will be lost in thine. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Today among Christians is the celebrated day of Pentecost. Pentecost, the prefix of which is the Latin penta, which means 50, is traditionally the 50th day after the resurrection. In the church, Pentecost is traditionally observed on the Sunday closest to the 50th day. Not only does this day among Christians coincide with the Jewish festival of lights or the time when Jews celebrate how God kept the symbol of God's presence, the light in the temple lit, despite a siege on Jerusalem as it was sacked by invaders, but also they celebrate the miracle of how God kept replenishing the dwindling supply of oil in the temple lantern so the lamp could remain lit. That lamp that symbolized God's presence. In addition, the day of Pentecost among Christians marks what we've come to regard as the birthday of the church. This is the day on which we know the promise of the Father was kept. Christ had promised his beleaguered disciples that in spite of all they had been through, if they would just learn how to wait on God, the Father would send them power. We are all familiar with the story. In some measure, that's one of the drawbacks of Pentecost. Believers are too familiar with the sequence of events, so much so that the unfortunate adage becomes true. Familiarity breeds contempt. It's a sad reality, family, that anything with which we become too familiar is regarded as ordinary or we at least become desensitized to the power of a thing if we believe we know it too well. The accounts for why too many marriages grow cold after several anniversaries, that's the account of it. Partners become convinced that they know all that that's of interest about the person they've married and the flames of fascination smolder down to the ashes of acquaintance. This is why worship too often becomes robotic ritual. We become so familiar with the ebb and flow, with the ritual and routine that we discount and disavow anything surprising and out of the ordinary. Saints in years past used to say we get so caught up on protocol that we didn't forgot who to call. If Pentecost among Christians does nothing else, it ought to remind us of and reacquaint us with the surprising and often uncomfortable creativity of our God. Pentecost ought to reassociate us with the source of our power. That is, the ability of our God to overcome, to overpower, to outmaneuver the mundane, monotonous, and sometimes malevolent mess in which we often find ourselves. 
No wonder the phenomenon of Pentecostal power was so alarming to the people gathered in Jerusalem 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. They had been programmed by their religion to expect what they'd been expecting by that time for over 2,000 years. When it comes to religion and day-to-day -day life, we are a lot like the Jews of old. What we tend to want more than anything else is anything that minimizes the unknown. Surprises are good on birthdays and anniversaries, but for most folk we say, when it comes to raising my children or paying my mortgage or my rent, when it comes to how I conduct my career, when it comes to the outcomes of my health, I don't want no surprises. Give me a roadmap. By our behavior, we say to God, I thank you with all due respect, Lord, to keep your surprises to yourself. What we want from God, family, is to become the one bastion of balance in our lives. We want God to be the breakwater against change and instability. Pentecost, I'm here to tell you, is the opportunity for the church to break free from the dangerous drudgery of ritual and routine and reimagine the possibilities of God's power in our lives. If the predictable is all that we have, we may as well turn in our hand right now because the game is over. You bid whist players will understand it when I say if the well-known, the tried and true is all we've got to look forward to, then there's no use counting any more cards. Life has set us and the enemy has already run a Boston on us. Y'all Google bid whist. If on the other hand, we're open to the unpredictable power of the Holy Spirit, then life will be worth living and we can face with fortitude even the crises of our lives. That's really all I want to tell you. That, that if, we, if we just open ourselves to the unpredictable power that the Holy Spirit brings us, reminding us of it today, then you can live life, a worthwhile life, and you can face everything that might come your way. In so many ways, we are just like the Jews of old. Most of our prayers to God are pleas for God to make more manageable, more predictable, the vexing affairs of life. We, we do this because we're sometimes consciously aware that we don't have the resources to meet the challenges life throws at us. We react like the folk gathered around Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, that is, amazed and confused, the book says, by life, because we really don't see how things are going to work out. We really don't have the energy to keep going, and we don't know how we're going to do it. We really don't have the knowledge to figure it out, and based on this, we don't know how it's going to work out or if it's going to work out. We really don't have the money to pay it, and, and because of this, we live in fear that we won't be able to meet our obligations. We find ourselves asking like the folk around Jerusalem on Pentecost Sunday, what is this? I hear some sounds I've never heard before. What, what, what is this? I see some behavior I've never seen before. What, what is this? I feel some kind of way I've never felt before. I've never heard anybody pray 
God, please make my life uncertain and unstable. Please fix it so I can't see my way. Instead, we're constantly chasing God down to calm the storms of life so we can manage them. But how many know that God does not always calm the storm? I, I, I told the Bible study this past uh, week, we were dealing with uh, the storm in Acts 28 and how Paul dealt with the deserters in that storm and, and the damage and the stress of the storm, how it looked for 14 long, dark, days like they were not going to make it out of the storm and, and, and in that discussion uh, we shared this one reality that sometimes God does not calm the storm sometimes God calms his child in the midst of the storm what would happen family if on this Pentecost Sunday every believer made the decision to stop asking the question what is this and decided instead to capitalize by faith on every uncertain outcome. Oh, you got some in your life right now. You got some stuff happening in your, in your life right this very minute. You don't really know how it's going to work out. What about if instead of asking what is this and, and straining ourselves to nervous exhaustion, wondering how we're going to maneuver out of it, what if we decided instead to capitalize by faith on the uncertainty of the outcome? You Using it as an opportunity to test and strengthen faith. Using it to make more declarative our faith. And deciding that the more uncertain the circumstance looks, the more certain we become in God. Oh, I dare you to try it. If I hit you, I didn't mean to miss you. That's essentially what Peter was teaching that day though when the fire fell. He was teaching the church that had just moments before been born, he was teaching them how to walk in Pentecostal fire. That's really all I want to do this morning. What would the world look like, family? What would the church look like if believers learned how to walk in Pentecostal fire? By the text... We hear Peter proclaim that the world would look like a place in which people believed and lived as if, first of all, God will execute his plan. A little beyond the text up to which we read verse 12 where the folk asked, what is this? In verse 17a, Peter begins to preach and to talk about what God has said in explanation to their question. Verse 17, uh, the Lord is speaking. This is what I will do in the last days, God says. Listen to verse 17a. This is what I will do. Wait a minute. There's God revealing God's own plan. God, you do know, is not obligated to tell us nothing. God does what God wants, when God wants, and how God wants. But here, he reveals a little something, something. He says in the eighth section of verse 17, I'm about to lay it out for you. This is what I will do. He, he, Peter was teaching the church that Pentecost is not so much about what we'll do in response to our inscrutable challenges. That is, this thing ain't about what I'm going to do in response to what I see. Uh, this Pentecost is really about what God will do. What will God do? 
Too many people miss the opportunity to live in, to, to walk in Pentecostal fire because they're too fixated on what other folk have done or are going to do to them or without them or over top of them. Peter, Peter quoted the prophet Joel as a way of demonstrating that what was going on that day was not some series of random events, uh, but rather this was a plan set in place long ago by God. Listen to what he said. He said, this is what I'm going to do. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on everyone. God, I feel a run in here. Your sons and daughters will proclaim my message. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Yes, even on my servants, both men and women, you misogynists, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will proclaim my message. If anybody could ever believe, he, he, used, he used Joel to show that, that what God was doing was right in line with the plan God had made. If anybody could ever believe that even the inexplicable, unimaginable, unbearable stuff you're going through was all being worked out in God's plan, you'd discover how to praise him through the problems. The reason that folk can't praise when they got problems is because they've given up on God's plan. They really secretly don't trust God to come through like God says. He said, I will pour out my spirit. God is not a man that he should lie. If God said he's going to do it, you better believe it's already done. It would cement in your spirit if you could just praise through the problems that it really doesn't matter what's, who, who's working on you. All that matters is who's working in you. God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to pour out that spirit on everybody, men and women. I'm going to do some miracles things in the people who look like they have nothing to offer, who look like they cannot make it, who look like they don't have answers and can't find their way. God said, you better praise me anyhow because I'm pouring out my spirit on everybody. I wish you would look in the mirror. I wish you would look, switch your phone around if you're watching on the phone and look at yourself on your screen and say he poured his spirit out on me. I think that many Christians don't believe God's spirit is on them. So they go through life like robots, like drones, like, like automatons, not moved, stoic and unconcerned and, and, and unable to connect with the power of life when God's spirit has been promised to be poured out on them. If you are in the church, you need to know that you're not some weak back, jelly back, lily livered, obsequious, bent over nothing. You are filled with the spirit of God. I tell you, God said what I'm going to do is I'm going to execute my plan and my plan will trump the devices of every devil that ever is born. My God's plan. God said the world will look different because I'm about to execute my plan. Your world can't be the same after Pentecost 
cross because God has executed his plan. The Holy Spirit has been poured out and that is why folk were asking, what is this? Because it didn't look like the Galileans they had been used to looking at. It didn't sound like the Galileans they were accustomed to hearing their accent. Uh, uh, It didn't sound like their accent. This, This thing, this plan God has executed had already begun to change the contours of earthly reality, changing farmers and fishermen into fire-filled disciples. What would happen? What is this? What would happen if the world looked like, if believers, the church, looked like they learned how to walk in Pentecostal fire? I wonder because I can't even tell you how many churches I've been in and not only was there no Pentecostal fire, if I lit a big lighter, somebody would call the fire department. There is no Pentecostal fire enough in the church today because we're scared. We are cowed by the dangers. We are intimidated by the enemies. God said, I am going to execute my plan. That's what the world would look like. It would look like God has already begun pouring out his spirit. What would the world look like? What would the church look like if believers learned how to walk in Pentecostal fire? By the text, we hear Peter proclaim that the world would look like a place in which not only is God going to execute his plan, but in which people believed and lived lives as if God's power is preeminent. Look, look at verse, the B section of that 17th verse. He says, this is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everyone. Your sons and your daughters, they'll proclaim my message. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will have dreams. Here, here and by these words, Peter declares that never again will the people of God be without help in their struggles. In the past, the power of the Holy Spirit had obviously been active in the world, but but never before like this, y'all. In the past, the Spirit came on good and godly people to help them perform mighty and unusual deeds. But Peter here declares that from now on, It's not going to be like just like Samson or Deborah or David, but it's going to be on Shakita and Demetria and Daquan. It's going to be on all of my children here, says the Lord. Here Peter declares that God has as of today, today y'all, superimposed his power on every person, every situation, every age, every status. God has decided to endow every weak person with strength that she never knew she had. Every unlikely person with skills, knowledge, ability, far beyond their own personal education or experience, God has decided that everybody who ever needed power would be endowed with supernatural ability to declare his word, the Lord says, that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. God says, I'm equipping them, I'm endowing them to speak over their own life situation and to speak into reality that which appears to be not as though it were. The world would look like that God's power is preeminent. Folk would stop uh, trusting in the power of potentates and politicians and stop trusting in the power of enemies 
and stop cowing to the, to the destruction of malevolent men. No, when God's power is preeminent, it doesn't matter how mean you are, you are no match for the power of God. If God's power is preeminent, it doesn't matter how you try to overturn elections and storm uh, the seat of power to make your will happen. God's will will always be done. It doesn't matter if you have strength that looks financial financial strength that looks supernatural. God has the power to overrule the leading index of economic indicators. How do I know? Because I know a little widow in Zarephath who found out that even when the flower runs out, when God's power is preeminent, you can cook for a lifetime. How do I know? I know because I saw a little lady with an issue of blood be healed right there on the roadway just because her faith made her whole. How do I know uh, because I know a little boy named Peter who was, who was dragging around paralyzed legs down in Memphis Tennessee but he's standing here right now declaring that when the world looks like God wants it to look when 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 the world when the church look like if believers learn, learn how to live in Pentecostal fire I learned that it looks like God's power can overcome an orthopedist's power that God's power can overcome a banker's power, that God's power can overcome the prognostication of your family and your haters and your foes. God can do anything because his power is above human understanding. That, that's what the world will look like. It'll look like a world in which God's agenda, in which God's plan is being implemented. It will look like a world in which God's power is preeminent. It'll look like a world in which God is managing my mess. Watch verses 19 and 20. Uh, God says, I will, I will perform miracles. Watch, don't miss it. It, it ought to never be forgotten that, that Peter was testifying, y'all, about what God promised in the days of Joel. He, he was instead, he, 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 was, he, was, he was testifying not about what God promised back then, but, but Peter says he was instead disclosing and interpreting what God was doing right then. What, what, that, that was a shout cue for some of y'all. You missed it. He was only quoting the prophet as a means for interpreting what folk were seeing on right in front of their very eyes. Peter was answering according to verse 17 their question, what is this? This was part of Peter's answer. Here God has spoken through the old prophet that this is what the prophet foretold. God said God said that he would not only execute his plan, not only would he make his power preeminent or first in every life situation, but God was now saying that, that in doing all of the surreal things God had promised he would be managing my mess. Now the prophet, prophet lifts from the lips of the Almighty the declaration that God intends, the verse says, to perform miracles. Now I know we don't like to talk about miracles too much these days because we're so grounded and we're so uh, so 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 uh, practical and, and, and we believe in, in life application that does not include supernatural intervention. But, but 
but, but now a theological definition. God says it. God said it. I didn't say it. He said, I'm going to perform miracles. Now, if you want a, a definition of what a miracle is, a, a theological definition of a miracle is a faith interpretation of that which occurs in fact. Peter declares that God intends to extend his power and influence into the realm, look at it, of the natural or the physical world. God intends to exert his sovereignty over even the forces that impact his people from day to day. The sun, the moon, outer space, and then he intends to punctuate the predicament of every person who has been in peril or been in pain. God says, all of this stuff will happen as the herald of what the prophet described back there as the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now, in Joel, this prophecy was a warning, y'all. It was a threat to an unfaithful nation. But the good news is, here in Acts, it's not a threat any longer. Now, it's a promise God makes. It's a promise that God is going to manage my mess. Somebody ought to run right there. That God has set an appointed time. It's a promise, y'all, that God has set an appointed time for all the struggles of my days. That's why we can find it in the world, in the word, uh, that, that in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. That's a promise, y'all, that weeping only endures for a night, but the, woven into the fabric of the universe is this, that, 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 that joy will come in the morning, that, that it's a promise, y'all, that God has established limits on just how long I've got to go through the sufferings of this life. Here, here God concretizes the promise that, that, that weeping only endures for the night. No, no, this is not pie in the sky, wait till you die, kicking the can down the road uh, statements. This, this is God, the sovereign majesty of time and space, now extending his dominion over the mundane affairs of the plot of dirt that I live on. If that doesn't give you some power, then nothing will. God has already circumscribed my mess. God has already foreseen the end of my mess. God has already seen his power enter my mess. God has already seen my mess be tied to his plan. God has already seen it. That's why Paul wrote it. He said, he said listen here, you just know that we that, that, that when you run into the obstacles of life that everything God is working it out for the good of them that love him for they who are the called according to his purpose that's why this God I serve that this God we serve who birthed the church on this awesome and auspicious day this very God says he is already getting in the middle of my mess and God is already Already managing the mess that I'm in. I wish I had me about three, uh, three folk out in this congregation who would testify, who would be willing by faith to disclose your faith that God right now in the middle of whatever mess you've got going on, that God is managing that mess. I wish I had me somebody who by faith would declare that God is already on the move, moving my mess, that God is already unraveling the the, the jangled details of my existence that that's what Pentecost is all about it's about God declaring 
God's own plan that, that the human plots and plans cannot prosper because God already has a plan. Before the foundation of the world, God declared that he would come to see about us. That's why he didn't wipe us out in Genesis chapter 3 when our ancestors fumbled and ate what they weren't supposed to eat, symbolically saying they imbibed in some knowledge that God did not intend for them. That's why in chapter 4, he's still talking to us. That's why prophets and prophets later, he's still reaching for us. That's why after an intertestamental silence, he's still talking to us. When the gospel writers and Paul came on the scene, that's why God is still talking because it does not matter what men may do, but his plan will be preeminent. Not only that, but his power will be preeminent. He is the God above every other God, every God of our own making. Our God is the sovereign of plots and prognostications of, of, of polarizing individuals. God makes his plan come to pass by infusing the earth with his spirit. God is the one who declared that God's power is preeminent. It's above my enemies all around me. It's above all of those who would do me harm. God is in the midst of my predicament. And, and that's why God, what Pentecost means is that God is also managing my mess. No matter how messy it might get, God is making sure that the words of the psalmist are true. Psalm 46 said, God is a very present help in the time of trouble. He's managing my mess, y'all. And he knew that they did not know that the days were going to come when evil folk would lock them up and try to take their lives and some of them would meet the executioner. They needed to know that God is managing that mess. What mess have you got that you need God to manage? By his spirit, y'all, you're going to make it because God has declared that the great and faithful day of the Lord is coming. Yeah! God has already declared that I'm managing everything that has you down. I wish I had me somebody who would lift up your head and say thank you. I didn't know how it was going to come out, but I'm glad that you're already working it out. How many know that before you can figure it out, God has already worked it out. I'm so glad Dr. Hayes' choir used to say, I prayed and I prayed, I kept getting deeper involved, but I turned it over to Jesus. I quit worrying about it. I turned it over to the Lord and he worked it out. Yeah! Have I got any worked it out? 
witnesses in this house have you ever been down and he picked you up again have you ever been despairing and he gave you hope in the midst of despair yeah it's because God is managing my mess I wish I had me some runners in this house who would give God a managing my mess run you ought to take your lap cause whether you know it or not that burden that you're carrying it's already it's already it's already worked out yeah yeah that trial that you're going through you ought to declare it by faith God is God is managing my mess say yeah say yeah say yeah say yeah thank you Lord for managing my mess that's what the world would look like if believers if disciples if church folk started walking in Pentecostal fire churches would be full of folk who believe that God's plan has been established that God's power is preeminent above all of the threats that are scaring you to death and that God is right now by the power of his spirit managing your mess I wish I had me somebody who would give your life to this Jesus who promised that if you just stay faithful wait for me I will send you another comforter. You don't need me to stay here in my flesh, but you need the Holy Spirit. Believe. Believe that you're not operating family on power of your own. The blessing, one of the great blessings of the church is that we have power beyond our own ability and understanding. And so we've got victory over the enemy. If you're here today and you know that you felt weak, like you couldn't make it, but somehow when you pondered now the presence of the Spirit, you've begun to see your struggle in a brand new way. Hallelujah. You see all of the mess through the fire that is burning within the church. Thank you, Jesus. And within you. That is the power of the church. We're not church because we got buildings and people and budgets we are the church because of every institution on earth hear me we are the only one infused with Holy Ghost power so today 
You ought to be a part of this incredible institution, this organism, living, breathing organism called the church. If you're not in a church, you need to get in one today. Meet Jesus for yourself. If you don't know him, if he's not in control of your life and you're not led by his spirit because of him, then you need to do that today. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's where it begins. Somebody put in the chat, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Somebody put in the chat, I want to know Jesus for myself. Somebody put in the chat, I need a church family. I need a place full of folk who will help me serve him. Walk with me through trouble and through success this is what is on offer here today would you pray with me if you need him in your life if you need a church family just pray with me right now we can we can make you a member of the field a partner a disciple here in the field whether you live we, we've got we've got friends disciples members in in African countries and in other states of the Union they're faithful and involved. Don't you want to be as well? They're giving. They're faithful. They're praying. They're working. This is your opportunity to join them and to join Jesus in the great enterprise he's doing in the earth. Come on, let's pray. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of the wrongs I've done. My sin. I need you as my Savior. I confess I am powerless to save myself. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Come on. It's done. We're rejoicing all over the field right now. We're thanking the Lord because you've made this move in your life. The most important thing you've ever done. Give God glory. Give him praise. Give him honor. He's worthy, I tell you. He just changed your family trees. Our God is here. Because of the Holy Spirit in a fresh new way. God is here. We're gonna leave this place. 
after we celebrate together the Lord's Supper why don't you go where in your house you can grab some elements some bread some liquid doesn't have to be grape juice or anything of that nature Jesus says just do this in remembrance of me come on let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together Thank you for listening to the Harvest Podcast. We pray that the message uplifted, encouraged, and challenged you as you continue to walk with God. If you're looking for a church home, the field is not confined by the four walls of the church. If you wish to become a partner in ministry, but more importantly, a member of this global family, simply click the link.